0: Today's sermon is entitled, Light in the Lord, and it's based on Ephesians 5.8. And 5.8 says, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, children of light. Make that bigger so you guys can read it. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, walk as children of light. And you guys often hear me mention the importance of preaching the gospel to ourselves. And some people don't understand what I mean by that. Preaching the gospel to yourself or meditating on the gospel is very important in order to help us to stay focused on Christ. If you really understand the gospel message, and I can tell you this from experience, Just simply meditating on the gospel, preaching it to yourself, going through the points of the gospel of Jesus Christ will often lift you out of any kind of state of depression or despondency, and it will motivate you. It will inspire you. And that's really, that's a lot of what this message does today. So this is one of those messages that really... Exemplifies what I'm talking about when I say, you know, take the time to meditate on the gospel and to preach the gospel of your, to yourself. Uh, hey, mom and dad, good to see you guys. They're with their friends, Roger and Barbara. Thank you for joining us. And let's move forward. So, Ephesians 5 8, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So, let's just break this down and look at what Paul's teaching us here. In the book of Ephesians, he says, so you were formerly darkness. Who's he talking to here? Paul is writing to Christian believers in the church in Ephesus. So he's talking to Christian believers here. For you were formerly darkness. So he's referring to the past state of a Christian. And in the past state, a Christian, someone before they become a Christian, is lost in a state of ignorance of God. They do not understand God. They're still in a depraved state, and they're ignorant of who Christ is and his gospel. That's what Paul's referring to when he says, you were formerly darkness. You were of the world. You were still lost in your sins and trespasses, still existing in a state of darkness and not walking with Christ. So it's ignorance of God. It's ignorance of of our own depravity, and it's an ignorance of understanding who Christ is. So let's break that down point by point. <laughs> ignorance of God. That is best contrasted with John fourteen six, which says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says that himself. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to know God except through Christ. So unless you understand the gospel and you come to understand God through Jesus Christ, it's impossible to know God to understand God, or to be reconciled to God. That can only happen through Jesus Christ. That's why he says he is the way. There is one way. He is the truth. There is one truth, and he is the life. There is one life. So if we're in darkness, those that are outside of Christ do not have a relationship with God. They're ignorant of God. And this is really important to understand this next point. All claims to know God apart from Jesus Christ, are false. All down through history, you see people searching for God in different ways or making up their own concept of God or making up false gods. If you read through the Old Testament, it's filled with references to false gods. Most of them are demonic, Moloch, Baal. We read all through the Old Testament about Asherah poles, where people would set up poles to worship a multitude of false gods. But the only way to know God, again, is through Jesus Christ. In the modern church, in the modern age in which we live, it's very important to understand that all claims to know God apart from Jesus Christ are false. You cannot have a relationship with God, be reconciled to your creator outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is where we start seeing the errors of secular humanism. And really, secular humanism is the reason for much of what the world is suffering through right now. If you look back through church history, you see a common error that occurs over and over again. And to break that common error down to its simplest explanation is man tends to worship himself, create gods for himself, rather than seeking and worshiping the one true God. That's secular humanism, focusing on man rather than focusing on God. Secular humanism is a very big problem, and it always has been. But all that we see right now, when you you look at the Black Lives Matter movement, you look at the riots that are taking place, you look at the horrendous state that so much of the Christian church is in, where the gospel is not preached, people are led astray, that all goes back to the fact that secular humanism exists in the world, is contrary to God, and and it has infected the church. It's come into the church. So what we see in the church nowadays is the error of false religions mixing secular humanism with erroneous and corrupted concepts of God and the gospel. We've got to strive for purity. That's why Paul tells us over and over, his great concern for all of his churches were that they would stay on the narrow path of truth that they would adhere to true Christian doctrine, that they would be not drawn astray from the truth by the things of the world. Satan is constantly trying to trick and to manipulate and to fool people into veering from the truth. If you look all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, how did Satan tempt Eve in the garden? <laughs> Eve was told, you shall not eat of the tree of good and evil, of the tree of knowledge. What did Satan say? What was his question to her? Did God really say that? He just planted that little question, tried to make her doubt so he could lead her off the narrow path of truth. And that's what he's been doing ever since then. And then the above, what I just talked about, is really much of what the Protestant Reformation dealt with. If you study the Protestant Reformation, what you see is a striving for Protestants, people who were protesting, Christians who were protesting the corruptions in the church, striving to reform the church and get back to the narrow path, get tr- back to the truth and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we only can come to through God's word in scripture. That's where we talk about the authority and the sufficiency of scripture. So I apologize. This this this. Sermon is a bit technical doctrinally, but these are very important things to us understand, and, and that will become more clear as we move forward in this. So we have an ignorance, ignorance of God is part of the condition of those that are in darkness that Paul is referring to, for you were formerly darkness. But there's also an ignorance of depravity, which is the natural human condition. And this is a tough pill to swallow, and it's very neglected and often in an often rejected truth of the gospel. People do not want to, under, to do not want to hear that they are depraved, that they are dead in their sins and trespasses. But if we look at Romans three ten through twelve, Paul addresses this directly. He says, uh, "Let's switch to that verse here on the screen." He says, "As it is written, there is none righteous." There we go. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Paul is explaining the doctrinal truth of total human depravity. Now, the best way to understand this is Paul is talking from the perspective of God's standard and not the perspective of man's standard, because elsewhere elsewhere in Scripture, what does it say? Our good works are considered filthy rags compared to God's standard. So what Paul's telling us is, regardless of how good we try to be, how much we try to earn our way to heaven, how much we try to atone for our sins, it will never accomplish anything for us if we are not in Jesus Christ. Salvation is only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is no other way to be freed from the condemnation that we are born into because of our sinful depravity other than through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But you've got to understand, like I said, if you look at this in man's standard, We can't understand it because we think, well, how could this good guy that's uh, he's helped people, he's fed people, he's done mission work, whatever. If he's not in Christ, those things are still filthy rags. They mean nothing because it's still coming from a humanistic perspective. Every good work we do should pour forth from the living waters that we have in us because we are in Jesus Christ. Hopefully starting to see what I'm the point I'm trying to make here. And then there's an ignorance of Christ that those in the darkness suffer from. Until a person is regenerated, this is very important, again, because this is one of the areas of Christian doctrine that is so twisted and misunderstood by so much of the modern church. Until a person is regenerated or born again, same thing, synonymous terms, regenerated or born again by the power of God and brought to believe, They are ignorant of the truth of the person and work of Jesus Christ. So how does so many in the modern age, and this this has existed all back through time, through the history of the church. One of the common errors is to say, okay, I heard the gospel. I internalized it. I analyzed it. I thought about it. I made a decision to accept Christ, to believe his gospel. Therefore, I'm born again because I made that decision. I'm born again. And I make a decision to have faith. The problem with that is it goes right back to humanism. It's saying that everything about my salvation is based on my own thoughts, my own decisions, and my own initiative to move forward in Christ. But why did Christ use the term born again? Did you have any control over your natural birth? You have no control over your conception. You have no control over your birth. It's out of your control. You see? That's how our spiritual birth is. It happens to us outside of our own power and our own initiative. God is the initiator. So we're born again by the power of God, then we're brought to believe. It's a fascinating portion of uh, doctrine to study. So I, Jesus says in John 3, 3, pull this one up for you guys. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So unless The Lord has regenerated you, brought you from that state of darkness, being dead in your sins and trespasses, trespasses, brought you to believe. You cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot have a relationship with God. So we're born again. We are made to see. We are brought to believe. We are blessed with faith. And then we're blessed with repentance. And we're led through Christ to eternal glory in him. So as you see here, everything is initiated by God and carried forward by God. We are not born again by our own choice or power. We cannot see by our own choice or power. We cannot believe unless the Holy Spirit brings us to believe. We have no faith unless it's faith that God gives us. We will not repent, which means to turn away from our sinful ways of walking in darkness and to turn and follow Christ and to walk in his light. We will not do that without the grace of God working in us. And we will not be brought to eternal glory and salvation in Christ except by God's grace. Everything is by him, from him, for him, and through him. It's all by God's grace. What an awesome and beautiful truth this is. Let's look at Luke 24, 40 through 30. Uh, Through forty-seven. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you. This is Christ talking to his disciples. These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So he's referring to the Old Testament prophets who testified, prophesied about the Messiah that was to come. He fulfilled all those prophecies. Now look at this, 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Until that point, this is after Christ's crucifixion, resurrection. And he was walk- walking on the road to Emmaus, and he comes across these two guys, asks them what they're upset about, and they said, haven't you heard this man who we thought was our Messiah has been crucified? They, and Jesus had not shown them who he was yet. But then he opens their minds to understand the scriptures And now they see that he is the Messiah. He's risen again. But they couldn't see that until he opened their minds. And that's what he has to do with any person that's dead in their sins and trespasses, headed for destruction, living in condemnation, walking in darkness, until Christ opens that person's eyes to understand the scriptures, which is referring to the gospel, and to see the light of Jesus Christ. They will not. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. This was all prophesied thousands of years before. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. So he enabled these guys to believe because the Holy Spirit opened their eyes. You see? And then we have to discuss the darkness of sin. The darkness of sin that's in the heart and that's in life. That's the darkness that Paul's referring to in Ephesians 5.8. The darkness of sin that's in the heart and that's in the life outside of Jesus Christ. Sin in the heart. Jeremiah 17:9 says, the heart is more deceitful. Let's pull this up. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Folks, that is one of the most poignant questions. In Scripture, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Just about everything man has tried to do over thousands of years to figure themselves out, to fix themselves, is a striving to understand something that is not possible for us to understand. This is why there's so much futility in in. Programs, recovery programs, psychology, psychiatry, all these different things that people use to try to figure themselves out are all futile because the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? No one can understand the human heart. And no one is freed from the condition of the human heart, that depraved condition, unless they're freed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel. And if we are stuck in that darkness, we are walking in sin and we're leading a sinful life. We're given an example of this in Mark 7, 21 through 23. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So they pour forth out of the heart. And and if the heart is black and the heart is stone and the heart is evil and rebellion against God, which is the natural human condition, these things pour forth from it. And the only way to be free from that is a supernatural act of the Holy Spirit bringing you to Christ through the gospel. Very important to understand. And like I said, you've got to look at this from God's standard, not man's standard. Like I've referred to before, if you go back through Matthew chapters 5 through 7 on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us how to live. He says, love your enemies as yourself. The meek shall inherit the earth. Do not lust. He says, even if you lust in your heart and you haven't acted it out, you've already committed adultery. Even if you're angry in your heart but you haven't murdered someone, you're still sinning to the level of murder. And then at the end of all these teachings that we realize there's no way that we can meet up to the qualifications that he's laying out. What does Christ close the end of the Sermon on the Mount with? He says, therefore, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So we're talking about God's standard here. And what we're seeing is there's no way for us to live up to it. It's impossible. It's what's known as the great dilemma. And then we're lost in the darkness of sorrow. Charles Spurgeon says, indifference is smothered sorrow. This is very important for the age in which we live. I love that quote. Indifference is smothered sorrow. If you're in, a, if you're in darkness, you're living in sorrow. Indifference is smothered sorrow. Now let's look at the uh, an explanation of what indifference is. Let's look at some synonyms. It's a lack of concern about. It's an apathy about or toward. It's a nonchalance nonchalance about. It's a lack of interest in, it's a disregard for, it's an oblivious to, obliviousness to, a heedlessness of, a mindlessness of, a carelessness of, a dismissiveness, dismissiveness of, a boredom with, a weariness of, lack of enthusiasm, impassiveness, dispassionate, detachment, coldness. This is what indifference represents. And unfortunately, indifference exemplifies much of the modern mindset. Like I shared, I think, a week before last, or actually I preached on, this was part of my sermon last week when I was preaching at my friend Randy's church. One of the things that I'm running into quite often now, especially through the Recovery Reformation ministry, is people contacting me and saying that they feel detached from the world. They don't know what reality is. They feel like they're floating. And I think what that is, is that's indifference taken to an extreme. But we also see that acted out so much in our society now. People have no interest in God. People don't care what truth is. One of the most damaging things that we're suffering from right now is this idea of relative truth. You have a truth. I have a truth. My history is different from yours. I've had different experiences. I was born a different way, so my truth is different from yours. The things that are happening in our society have to rely on the false idea that truth is relative to each individual circumstance. That's how you justify things like homosexuality. When homosexual marriage was was accepted by the Supreme Court a few years ago, one of the things that I preached on right after that is the fact that shortly following on homosexual marriage will be pedophilia to be accepted. That's now being promoted, and they're trying to make that look as something that's normal. Sex with children. And then the next level down will be um, bestiality. Love of animals in a sinful way. Now, that bestiality one sounds extreme right now. The pedophilia one people can't argue about because it's right out in the open. They're starting to promote that. But when I first said that two or three years ago when the gay marriage thing came in, everybody thought, well, no, it would never go to that extreme but it continues to go to that extreme. Why? Because people believe that truth is relative based on your own circumstances, and that goes back to an indifference and a not caring and being apathetic about the truth of who God is. It just continues to deteriorate. That natural depravity of human nature continues to infect and corrode and eat away at a society that is indifferent to seeking for what truth is. And again, this isn't just in our society. This goes back to the times of Christ and before that. What did Pilate ask Christ? When Christ told Pilate who he was, and he said that he was truth, Pilate said, what is truth? Because Pilate lived at a time when Christ was on the earth, when there were so many false religions, there was so much philosophy, and there was so much humanistic thought, that many had become apathetic and given up on just on even trying to figure out what truth was. That's where we are now. You see? That's part of being in the darkness. So indifference exemplifies much of the modern mindset. Now let's look at Ephesians two verses one and three. Paul says, "And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, what I've talked about is dark. These are truths that people don't want to hear but they have to be taught. But this is where the light starts shining that I'm talking about today. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. He's talking about Satan of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. If we are in darkness, we are in disobedience to God among them. We too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were made by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So he's talking again about what the, the believer used to be before they were in Christ. And then he says in Romans three twenty, Paul wrote both of these books because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight for through the law comes knowledge of sin. Everyone has broken God's law. Spend some time in the book of Leviticus the Old Testament, look at the requirements of God's law and you realize that the best human beings break it constantly all day long. So indifference exemplifies much of the modern mindset, and that has been the case since the beginning of time. But now we turn the corner. You see? Now you are light. If we look back at Ephesians 5.8, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light. And I don't have that verse up on the screen, but you'll notice if you pull it up in your Bibles, that word light has a capital L. Why? Because it's referring to Christ. He's the light of the world. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of Christ. So let's look now. I showed you guys Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Here, let's look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. And we see the good news of the gospel shining into this darkness. Now, if we take the whole context of this, He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, you were under the control of Satan, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest, as the rest of the world. But God, those two words right now, right here, are what Christians owe everything to. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It's not of your own doing. It's all of grace. We're not deserving of it. It's all by God's grace. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So just contrast all that we've just been promised in Christ with all the darkness that was conveyed earlier in the message. That's what we have in Christ Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Now you are light. So now we go from a state of ignorance to a state of knowledge of God and spiritual things, and also a true knowledge of ourselves. We begin to understand ourselves. We understand the world around us. All the things that seemed a mystery that could never be figured out start falling into place because now we have the proper perspective because now we start to see things through Christ's eyes, which is the only way to see things because he is the only truth. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 2. 12 through 16, now we have received not the spirit of the world, that's darkness, but the spirit who is from God, the Holy Spirit, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, the natural human mind cannot grasp the things of God, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And this is one of the most fascinating truths of Christian doct- of, of the Christian faith. And that truth is that... The only way I can understand what's written in the Bible, the only way that I can understand the truth of scripture is if the Holy Spirit opens up the word God's word to me. You see, that's the only way to understand it. If the Holy Spirit doesn't open up the word, it's like I'm reading any other book. You see, the only way to understand the gospel, to understand the truth of God's word, is if the Holy Spirit Opens up your heart and your mind and your spirit to be able to understand it. And this is a blessing beyond description. In a world of so much darkness and confusion, to be blessed with the knowledge of God and spiritual things of ourselves and to know where we stand with God, reconciled through the pr- precious blood of Jesus Christ. Meditate on that for a while. Think about that. Isn't that amazing? That the only reason we understand the gospel, the only reason we're brought to faith in Christ is by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. It's all the work of God. And now we've gone from darkness to living in and striving for holiness, purity, and love to God. What a contrast to who we were before being born again by God's amazing grace. Such a contrast to this unholy, impure, and God-hating world. Folks, one of the most, one of the greatest blessings we can get out of the time in which we live is you see the darkness around us. We are surrounded by visible lies right now, having to do with this coronavirus and everything else, politics. That's a blessing because that darkness makes the light shine brighter. We understand Christ more this is why I love Romans 12 too. This is our mission verse for our church and everything we do. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind <clears throat> that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Reject the things of the world, cling to Jesus Christ and all will be well with you. Every Christian should rejoice. Why? Because we are blessed to live a life of joy in spite of the situations, conditions, and circumstances that are surrounding us. Because we are not of this world, we are in Christ. Sorry, I missed Romans 12. Two on here. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. People often ask me, I don't know what God's will is for me. We try to complicate things. I think we take ourselves too seriously. I don't know if I should do this, if I should move here, if I should go there. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, what God's will is for everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So if that's what you're doing in everything you do, and you're striving to be conformed to Christ's image, you're striving to turn away from the darkness of the world and to follow Christ, you will be joyful and you will pray without ceasing, and in everything you will give thanks. That is a joyful life that stands in absolute contradiction to the horrors that are going on in the world around us. So guard your joy in the Lord fervently and passionately. Don't let anything strip that joy away from you. And folks, I see so many Christians nowadays who are so despondent, who are so downcast, who spend so much time arguing and debating other Christians or heretics or whatever it is, constantly engaged in argument, and much of this is because of social media, that strips away your joy in Christ. If something affects your joy in Christ and threatens that, reject it. It's our precious gift. Now he says, in the Lord. So again, if I go back to our beginning verse for you were formerly darkness but now you are light in the Lord you are light in the Lord it's not of us it's all of Christ so meritoriously by Jesus we walk in his light very important to understand meritorious equals deserving reward or praise now because we are born in our we are dead in our sins and trespasses we're in rebellion against God do we deserve reward or praise no That's why we stand in Christ. Very important to understand here. This is where we get into what's called imputed righteousness. Let's look at Philippians 3, 8 through 9. More than that, make this bigger for you guys. What Paul's referring there to there is Christ's perfect righteousness is imputed to his chosen, those that he came to save, to those he saves by grace through faith. Now, I often have Christians ask me, um, you know, I'm, I've been talking to this friend of mine. They claim to be a Christian, but they don't live as a Christian. They seem to believe false things. I don't know how to figure out if they're a true believer. That's solved with such a simple question. You ask them, how are you reconciled to God? On judgment day, when you have to give an account for your life, every thought, every word, every action, how are you justified before God? Understanding that to be justified before God, you have to meet his law perfectly. Never have broken even one letter of his law your whole life. So with that in mind, how are you justified before God? If that person responds and says, well, I just did my best. I helped people tried to be a good person, I gave to the church, I did this, I did that. They are not a Christian believer. A Christian will respond and say, I have no business defending myself before God. I myself know that I was dead in my sins and trespasses. Nothing in my life justified me or could reconcile me to my creator. When I stand before God on Judgment Day, the only thing I can claim is that I stand in the name of Jesus Christ, that I place my trust and my faith in the sacrifice that he made for me on Calvary. When Christ suffered and died on the cross, that was for my sins because I couldn't atone for it myself. When he rose, that was for my salvation. So I can only plead the name of Jesus Christ. And that's how I stand before God. His righteousness has been imputed to me. That's how a believer stands before God, understanding that we stand in the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. And imputation goes both ways. What do we bring to Christ? When we are brought to the cross by the gospel, we realize we're dead in our sins and trespasses, and we face eternal damnation separated from God in hell suffering forever. What do we bring to the cross when that realization strikes us? We bring nothing but our sin. Our sin was imputed to Christ on the cross. He died for the sins of his chosen ones. And he imputed his righteousness to us. Fascinating study there. So Christ's perfect righteousness is imputed to his chosen, to those he saves by grace through faith. So that's meritoriously. Now let's look at actively. We are in the Lord actively by the Holy Spirit. Another quote from Spurgeon, he says, the heart must be purified. Now we're talking about the Christian life and the Christian walk. All past sin forgiven. How? By free grace. All present sin crucified. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Will we continue to sin even if we're in Christ, if we're Christians? Yes. We strive against it. We hate it. But it's been forgiven us. And we strive to crucify it by the power of the Holy Spirit. All future sin is avoided, how? By the Holy Spirit's help. That's what repentance is. We walk with Christ. We're led by the Holy Spirit instead of walking by ourselves in condemnation and death. John 14, 26 refers to this. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He is our guide. And then he says, walk as children of light. So now he gives us an exhortation. He says, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So now he says, walk as children of light. Walk as if you're in, walk because you're in Christ. Walk as Christ. We walk humbly. We walk obediently. And we walk as God's children when we have repented and started following Christ. Micah 6, eight says, He has told, he has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. See, walk with the Lord, trusting in our divine Father. I love this picture here. David just explained his relationship with the Lord so beautifully. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me. Why? Because he delighted in me. So think of all the things that I preached on earlier, the fact that we are in depravity, we're in rebellion against God, we're dead in our sins and trespasses, there is nothing in us deserving of of being saved, but God delights in his chosen ones and he rescues us, sets us in a broad beautiful place. That's what David's talking about here. What a beautiful truth that is. And we walk as children of light, cheerfully as children of light, joyfully because of what we're looking forward to. You can go back through every promise in the Bible if you're a child of God and claim those promises. We're never alone. The Lord will bring us through every trial. It's an awesome blessing. You see, we can always rejoice. He'll give us things to strengthen our faith. Those that have, that have listened to me for a while know of the trial that I went through a year ago on our first trip to Kenya when we thought there was this possibility of, of a death threat that somebody might be out to kidnap us or whatever when we get there. But the Lord used that trial to bring my son and I through and to strengthen faith, you see? To strengthen faith. That's how he works. We walk in holiness. We strive to be pious to be sanctified, set apart for God. We give ourselves to God in in every way, walking worthy of the dignity of God. We strive to exemplify Christ in everything that we do in our life because we are in him. And I'm going to close with this verse, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us in offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Christ died so that we might be saved from our sins and trespasses in him. So I'm going to ask these questions to those that are listening. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you truly know him? Not a false Jesus that isn't according to the gospel. You know, in the area where we are here in, in Idaho, there's a lot of Mormon temples all over the place. Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. What people don't understand is that Jesus Christ doesn't exist. He was invented by Joseph Smith. He was made up. That Jesus Christ contradicts the Christ that you can only come to know through the gospel. And then you got to ask yourself the question, does he know you? Do you know what it means to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Are you in Christ? Can you rest knowing that if you died tomorrow, you're going to rest in the arms of Christ, that you will be with Him eternally in His glory, in His kingdom. The most important question you'll ever ask yourself. If you're not sure about these questions, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know if He knows you, if you're still in the darkness of the world and you want to hear of His glorious light, His gospel of salvation, please contact me. Please email me at the Way Ministry Church at Outlook.com. Please the most important decision you'll ever make like I said at the beginning folks I wanted to do the announcement it's at the end um, because we are in a little bit of a different situation right now with our church uh, as you know obviously everybody knows everything's been locked down since last March much of the world has world has been locked down and uh, travel has been restricted uh, when this whole thing started in March I was actually in Kenya. Uh, it was hard for me to get back because they were starting to shut down international travel. And right after I left, the country of Kenya stopped all incoming international flights. So you couldn't even get into the country. That changed. October, uh, August 1st, the president of Kenya allowed international flights to come back. The country is is starting to, to start back up again. They have not been affected by the coronavirus that much, but they've taken extreme conditions. And a lot of people are suffering because of it there as everywhere else in the world. Uh, But what I'm going to ask you guys, if you just bear with me here a little bit further, because I just want to share what we're going to be doing in five weeks. Um, Through the kindness of my friend Bruce, he's a a good friend of mine, been a part of our church for a long time now. Uh, He has a lot of airline miles, and he went ahead and has purchased airline tickets for my son Wyatt and I to make our next trip to Kenya, uh, the end of September and into the first week of October. Usually we have four or five months to plan these trips. This one, we just feel like we need to go because September we plan every year to do our yearly conference at our headquarters in Kenya. And we wanna stick to that. So we have to get there in September to be a part of that conference. I'm the president of the ministry. Um, Wyatt, my son goes with me because he's a very good photographer. And I need somebody to help document the things that we see. Uh, He also helps me with a lot of the work that needs to be done if we're helping to build a house, do water projects, whatever it is. He's a very valuable asset. So he's going along with me again like he did on the first trip. Uh, The second trip last time I just went by myself. Um, There's a lot we need to address with this trip. And it looks like this trip stands to be our most fruitful and our most productive of the trips so far mainly because I've spent so much time there now. I know the territory. um, I know where to stay. I know how to do things. Like anybody that's traveled internationally, it takes a while to sort of figure things out. So we can really hit the ground running and and accomplish a lot. Uh, I was heartbroken yesterday because I was just contacted by one of our pastors there who's very close to me. Um, uh, His mother-in-law has cancer and uh, he has absolutely used up every last dime that he has to try to get her taken care of with cancer treatment, and now they're sending her to a clinic. He's behind in his monthly rent, so we're trying to raise money for that. Um, But what I wanted to do is, if you're not on our email list, I sent out a a newsletter um, uh, last week just explaining this trip, and I just wanted to sort of uh, go through this newsletter and share it with you guys. don't have to read it i'm just going to go through it on the screen a little bit of what we hope to accomplish first of all uh, the churches in kenya continue to grow Um, pastor cosmos is one of our pastors in nairobi he's on with us today and he will attest to the fact that we continue to add more churches the churches continue to expand Uh, we were able to just open a new location in kisi our headquarters is in kisi kenya which is about six hours from Nairobi, but it's in the outskirts. It's in the hills. We've just recently been able to open a new location uh, in downtown Kesey, and we've already got 17 members there. And the pastor that I was talking about who's suffering with his helping his mother-in-law with cancer, that's his location there. Um, Last time we were there, we were able to buy maize. And this was actually the day that we went to purchase multiple bags of maize. The reason we purchased them is because Kenya has been slammed with locust swarms over the over the last year. And these locust swarms have gone through East Africa and just decimated crops. So we were very concerned about food shortages. Then they locked down the country. People weren't allowed to leave their homes. They weren't allowed to work. Hunger really became an issue. So I think we've depleted just about all of the stores that we had left there of food. So on this trip, we very much need to buy as much food as we can because... Kenya it is listed actually on number 10 of 29 countries that are monitored by the famine early warning systems network. And they expect that Kenya will start having horrific food issues and food shortages starting in January of 2021. So we want to be prepared ahead of time for that and try to help any way that we can. So we're very much in need of food there everybody that's followed us knows that we're very much in in, uh, involved in clean water projects. Uh, this is actually a picture of pastor Benson's. He's our, our main pastor there. His niece, uh, when we went to his family property, as we were actually walking through the forest and coming up to the village that they live in, his niece was there getting water out of the spring that day. So I got to photograph her and to spend a few minutes with her. Um, She has to go down a hill about 300 yards, back up a steep hill with the bucket on her head every time they need water at the five homes at the top of the hill where they live in what's called a shamba or an an area of of family homes. Since that time, we have been able to actually install a water tank at their location. I think it's a 10,000 gallon tank. And now they don't have to go down to the spring. So this trip, what we hope to do is start installing water filters because dysentery and stomach issues are very common in Kenya because they're just getting water straight out of streams, springs, or rivers. And there's constantly issues with the children having dysentery and the adults having stomach issues like ulcers. So we're really trying to do everything we can on these water projects to make sure everybody has good, clean water in their homes. The other thing we're trying to do is Pastor Benson walks about four miles to the church. And he goes to church constantly throughout the week. On Sundays, he has to leave at about 4 or 4.30 in the morning to make the trek to church. And so what we're trying to do is, is build a home for him and his family next to the church. And that's what you see in this picture here. They've gone ahead and they've started to uh, level the land. We just don't have the funds to build the house yet. So we're hoping to be able to get that started while we're there as well. I'm going to spend uh, three days in pastoral training and teaching and preaching where we're going to go into depth into every point of our statement of faith. We're going to go very deeply into Christian doctrine. Uh, One of my greatest concerns with the prevalence of false teachings around the world right now is that our pastors in Kenya stay on the narrow path. They are surrounded by false teachings there one of the biggest exports from America right now is false teachings. And so we're constantly battling against that. And my focus on every trip is to do everything I can to strengthen and edify the pastors, encourage them to stay on the narrow path, to teach the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so far we've been very successful at that. My friend, Matt slick of org is helping me put together a curriculum. So I'm really excited about the time we'll be able to spend with the pastors. Uh, Teaching them for, for three days there. Also, going to have our conference. All the churches will come together, those that can afford to come to Kese. Uh We have churches spread out all over Southwest Kenya, but everybody tries to get there and we'll have just an amazing time of fellowship uh, together there. And then, what I wanted to do is share with you guys, because I talk about Kenya a lot, but I don't know that everybody knows what's going on there. And I just wanted to give you an idea of what it's all about. This is our main headquarters. Um, in Kesey. This was on our first trip uh, when I was preaching there. If this picture will open, it should in a second. Um, uh, so this is our main headquarters here. Um, I'm just going to go through these pictures really quick. This is a typical street in Kesey. It's a very poor area. I believe unemployment in Kenya right now, is it could be about 60%. People simply Struggle to even have a dollar or, or a shilling in their pocket. Um, it's very hard to make a living there. And we're doing everything we can to try to help lift up those in our church to provide business opportunities. Like I said, to provide food, to do everything we can to help them. So this is just a typical street in Kesey. Um, this is when we get together for the conference. This was when I was there in March, though. This wasn't a conference. Um, and it's just a great time of sharing a meal, everybody getting together. I'm not going to go through every one of these pictures. I just want to pull up the ones that will help you guys understand. This is Pastor Benson's house that they are building for him at his family's property, not the one we need to build by the church. The family's property is about, like I said, four or five miles from the church. But as you see, it's dirt walls, dirt floor, nothing fancy. This is how Kenyans live, the majority of them. It's a beautiful way to live. They're some of the happiest celebratory, God-fearing, God-loving people that I've ever known. I love them dearly. And this is a common structure for those living in Kenya. These are the homes that they live in. Uh, This is a kitchen at his family, at Benson's family Shamba. When the women go to make a meal, this is the kitchen. They just use an open fire and they were actually making a lunch for us the day that my son and I were there last September. So this is how the, the Kenyan women prepare the meals This is the market street in Kesey. If you need something and you need to go shopping, this is where you're gonna go shopping. You're gonna buy fish, meat, vegetables, anything you need is in a market like this. So this is the typical market in the town of Kesey where we we spend half of our trip in Kesey and the other half in Nairobi. Another picture of it here, it'll open. There we go. My son, Wyatt. This was last September. Pastor Patrick. Pastor Cosmos. if you're still watching, where is this? He'll know where this is. Uh, this is where Pastor, Pastor Cosmos's church is located. It's called Tasha. Uh, it's in Nairobi. Um, it's a slum. Uh, people in this area suffer miserably from poverty. This is one of the churches that is really on our radar to try to help all we can, to try to help expand it and to get them into a a better facility as soon as possible. Pastor Cosmos is a very committed man of God. This is the neighborhood that his church is in. And the the amazing thing about this is when my son and I went to this church, uh, Wyatt told me, he said, Dad, he goes, this is one of the most spirit filled places I've ever been. These people absolutely love the Lord, and they're so engaged in the, in the cause of the gospel. It's just a blessing every time we go there. Um, this here is how people get water in Kenya. This is why we're so focused on these water projects. If you can afford it, you'll have water delivered, and this is how they deliver it. They fill up these, these, jar, these containers, and they bring them to your house. Most people can't afford that, so they will take these containers to a water vendor if they're in the cities, have them filled up, carry them back home. If you're in the country, you go fill them up in the river or the stream or the spring or a well or whatever it is. So water is a very big issue there, very difficult to get. This is the school Pastor Patrick's family Their tribal land is about two hours from Kesey and they've been able to get the school restarted there. This is something we've been working on for a couple of years, but now there are children starting to attend the school on his land. That was a huge blessing when I was there in March. That's when we took this picture to actually see that the school's being repaired, being fixed up, and we hope to continue to make the school better and better so more kids from this area can come to school and start getting a good education. So that was a great blessing uh, to see that. The first time we went there, the school was basically destroyed. Uh, This is Pastor David in his brother's house. This is the interior of a typical Kenyan home. And for years, this, this, this land has been in their family for years. This is how they get water. So one of the things that I hope to do is to be able to try to install some kind of a system that will pump the water out of the well for them. But again, they're just taking the water out of the well and they're using it. We want to put water purifiers into as many homes as we can. So on this trip, I hope to to get at least $500 to $1,000 just to put in water purifiers. They run anywhere from $50 to $100 a piece and to put them into as many homes as we can because that is a direct effect on people's lives if we can get water purifiers in. So that's how Pastor David gets water for his family. And I'll just share a couple more here with you guys. Um, What we were able to do, Pastor Patrick here, This is him and David and myself and his wife. Pastor Patrick used to walk with a wheelbarrow from here down a road and back up to this big building you see behind here where they have water tanks. And he would buy water and come back with his wheelbarrow. And that's how his family has gotten water since they've been in this location for 10 or 15 years. We were blessed to be able to provide them with the tank you see in the picture when we were there. Uh, They installed it after we left. Now they have a huge water tank right on their location. Pastor Patrick's church is next to his house, so now his congregation also has access to water. They don't have to struggle so hard to get it. I have to be able to put a, a water filter in his home while we're there. We haven't been able to do that yet, so that's another goal that we have on this trip. That's the water tank after it was installed. Each one of these water projects, depending on what's involved, runs between uh, 1,000 and $1,500, maybe $2,000, uh, depending on if you need to put guttering, if you need to put a slab in, they have to set very level. Um, they're not cheap to do, but they are a blessing to people when you put them in. Uh, his wife was absolutely ecstatic when she found out that we bought them a water tank. Um, she was just praising the Lord. This is Benson's mom. And after we left, we were able to put a water tank into their place so his nieces don't have to haul water on their heads up anymore from the spring. So now we have a tank at Benson's property as well. And this serves about five families, I think, at his tribal land where his mom, his aunt, and his brothers all have homes. So now they have a water tank there. So we very much need to get uh, water filters into each of those, those homes as well. Uh, Pastor Cosmas, if you're still on, I don't know if you are, I know it's probably getting late in Kenya, uh, this is his church in Tasha, the one I was talking about in the slums. This is the inside of his church. This is Pastor Cosmas here and his wife and his daughter. Um, as you can see, it's just a simple little church, but these people worship like nobody I've ever seen. It's a blessing to go there, and we'll be definitely be visiting his church location when we're in Nairobi. Um, this is one of our new locations in Nyamagara, which is just near Kisi. And we have people attending this church. We have no building yet. The pastor of this church I met with when I was there. We went to his property. Uh, like I said, everybody there has family land that's tr- that's passed down tribally through through the years. And they donated a portion of this land to the Way Ministry Church so he could set up a new location there. People are coming to his church. I think last I heard, he's got about 40 people coming. This was a few months ago. They're just meeting out in the in the forest on the dirt. There's no building yet. So we hope to be able to get that building in place as soon as possible. Keep in mind, all these people come to our church because they love the gospel and they're seeking true doctrine. And that's what I love about our church. Is there. That church is right across the street from the Roman Catholic headquarters for Kesey, right across the road. And they said people are now leaving there and coming to our church because they're hearing what's preached. So praise the Lord for that. What an awesome blessing. Uh, This is Pastor David on the street. Uh, He's been helping women with microloans because they weren't able to work. They weren't allowed to work with the coronavirus lockdowns. Many of them were near starvation, had no way to start their businesses back up because they had no way to buy fruits and vegetables to sell at the market. He's doing he's him and his friend were doing microloans of between 10 and 50 dollars to help these women get their businesses restarted. David has no money of his own, but he was able to do that. He made that happen in spite of his own need and his own pressures. So praise the Lord for that. So folks, the reason I'm showing this to you today, like I said, we leave for Kenya in uh, five weeks, the end of next month. Uh, we need to raise between seven and $8,000 in that time period. Seems like a huge stretch, but I can tell you, Every time we do these trips, the Lord always comes through and provides more than we need. And we're able to accomplish more than we even plan when we get there. So I have no doubt that the Lord is going to uh, make this trip a possible, he's going to bring this trip to fruition, that we will be able to take care of the things we need to take care of and uh, to go work with our churches there. With the new location, we now have eight locations instead of seven. Uh, but I just prayerfully ask that you would consider sharing our need with other people. Please helping us if you have the ability to do so. Um, This is a great opportunity to truly be the light of Christ to those that are suffering, that are hungry, that are in the darkness, that need to hear the gospel. And that's where the Lord has led us. Like I've, I've shared before, our church prayed for years that we would grow here in Boise and it never grew. But then the Lord showed us. He was opening a door in Kenya and those churches are just exploding. And we're just getting involved in so many more things there and the Lord is blessing us so richly. So I just bring that before you and ask that you would please help us all you can, share with other believers who we are, what our ministry all is all about. Give them our website address, thewayr122.org and uh, just join with us, partner with us in you know, making this happen so we can bless these people and continue to do everything we can there. Uh, if, you need, if you want to donate, you can go to the way r122.org. There's a donut pa- donate page on our site, um, and we just thank you for it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this op- awesome opportunity today uh, to be able to gather. And Lord, we thank you for your Word. And Lord, I ask that you would uh, touch the hearts of each person that watched today, or that will watch this video in the future, or hear the podcast. And I ask that you would uh, strength and edify and encourage believers, and for those that are still struggling, that are trying to figure things out, that are lost and struggling in this world, that you would shine the light of the gospel into their hearts. And Lord, we just ask uh, that you'd guide us in this coming week, that you'd open opportunities for us to share the gospel with others, that we'd strengthen our brothers and sisters, and that you would help us to shine brightly with your joy as we go through each day in the coming week. Amen. Thanks for joining today, folks. We will be back here next week, next Sunday at 12 o'clock Mountain Time. God bless.